You're listening to the Fueled by the Outdoors podcast. If you like what you hear, please be sure to subscribe, tell us what you think in the comment section, and leave us a review. I just hammered a good one. Drop the Asher. Never seen that deer before. It's a tough pill to swallow after having that deer at 18 yards. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Rick Cates. Chris Leppert couldn't be here tonight, but we have the one and only Josh Luck sitting in with me tonight. Josh, how's it going? It's going well, Rick. Glad to be back on. Thank you much. And tonight we are speaking to Derek Craig of New Day Outdoors. Derek, um, thanks for coming on with us. And uh, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. And we hope that you'll be able to, you know, kind of shed some information and some understanding on how uh, you kill one of the best hunting, but as, as Chris would say, the thing that he would like chase until he dies. <laughs> yes. So tonight we're talking about turkeys. So Derek. Hey, uh, it, yeah. Uh, it, it's yeah. Thanks. Wood. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for, uh, for having me on. So yeah, I'm I, sure this will be better without Chris here too. So. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so man. I guess to give people a background, Chris knows you the best, Derek, correct? I, yeah. I can't quite remember. Did you guys start talking online and, and that is how you guys kind of got to know each other? Yeah, you know, I mean, like everything is these days, it seems like you know more people at a distance than anywhere. You know, it used to be you yeah. knew everybody in your little hometown, but now you know people all around the world. But yeah, I think it was through Facebook or Instagram we started we crossed paths because he was either getting into filming or he'd been filming for a little while, but um, he had a lot of questions on that. And then he ran down the saddle road and I was going down that road. And so it seemed like he and I were exchanging information all the time. And it just got to be one of those things. You started messaging back and forth and um, you know, about various topics and, and everything just kind of got to know each other digitally. And then I met a couple him and I believe yourself at ATA this yeah. year. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah. yeah actually in person. Yeah, he had talked about you quite a bit before, and then when him and I went to this past ATA, we saw you at the Magnus booth, and then, you know, you and I briefly got to talk a little bit while we were there. Yeah. Talked yeah. a little bit of turkey hunting, and then talked about getting you on the podcast to kind of share yeah. your successes in the, in the turkey hunting woods. Yeah, I've, I've killed one or two, so... <laughs> Well, let, let's kind of get into that, Derek. Uh, I guess for our listeners, if you give everybody your background and, you know, your hunting background, you know, kind of life story, uh, if you could start out with that, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm 52 years old. Uh, I live in Northeast Indiana. Uh, lived in this part of the state uh, my whole life. It's it's a pretty awesome area if, you, if you'd like to be a hunter. Um, but I... Uh, did not grow up in a hunting family. Uh, there was no, no mentor as a, as a parent. My, my dad didn't hunt. My grandpa, my grandparents didn't hunt. In fact, I, I, you'd probably have to go back four or five generations in my family to find somebody who hunted. And that was probably just because of sustenance. I mean, it's just yeah. something that nobody does. Everything's mm -hmm. I'm, everyone thinks I'm crazy for it, but uh, I grew up in, in town was the kid growing up in town and always wanted to be out in the country. I was envious of friends of mine that I went to school with who got to ride dirt bikes and four wheelers and, you know, hunt and fish and all that stuff. So 
Um, when I was in high school, I dabbled a little bit with hunting, um, kind of in the secrecy. My mom would have probably killed me at the time, but <laughs> a couple of my friends hunted and never had any success. And I mean, so I technically I started hunting when I was probably 17 or so, but I didn't have any success back then. So, but once I graduated college and I was um, like 22 or 23, then, and I had a job and I bought a house and, you know, I had an income and it's like, Hey, now I can do whatever I want to do. And so it was really about the age of 23 or so when hunting for me really started kind of taking off. And I started out like, you know, most guys, you know, going small game or deer hunting, you know, with a, well, in Indiana at the time, a shotgun or, you know, a lot of guys would start gun hunting, you know, and that just is like the natural thing. I had a couple of guys I worked with that hunted. And so, you know, I'd pick their brains and all that. And so I did that for, I don't know, probably four or five years. And then, you know, the calling of, Hey, how do we, how do we expand hunting? You know, and it's like, well, let's get a bow, you know, and, and didn't know anything about it. And so I'd say I was probably, I don't know, 27, 20 years old when I first per- picked up a bow and again, didn't have any mentors, just go into the bow shop and start asking questions. And, you know, those are early days. So, you know, a time frame perspective, now getting going hunting, you have all this right here at your fingertips. You have laptops, mm-hmm. you got the internet, you got mm-hmm. your phones, you know, you can ask people on social media, you can Google topics, you know, watch YouTube videos infinitely. Back then you didn't have that. I mean, this is, I'm talking, you know, in the early to through mid nineties, trying to cut your teeth and learn. I mean, we literally had to learn with Field and Stream magazine and, you know, and asking people that you knew, um, you know, occasional TV show, you know, but watching Real Tree Monster Bucks on ESPN back then, that wasn't learning <laughs> hunting. That was just, you know, watching guys who could afford to go hunt some amazing places. So mm-hmm. Anyways, so that's how it all started. And it just, it's been one of these evolving things. You know, you go from graduate college in 92 and started 92, 93 ish hunting really seriously. And here we are 2002 and it just, it evolves, you know, and, and obviously the more you learn, the more access you have to better information, it, it like snowballs. And for me, it's just been this obsession, you know, my whole life, um, you know, ended up, I, I bought a bunch of acreage where I live. And so I've got a nice place to hunt right here on, you know, behind my house Nice it was like this dream of mine when I was younger, I have two daughters, they're 20 and 22. And, you know, they both, um, and still do, um, they are off in college right now and all that. So they don't get to hunt as much, but it's just, I don't know. It's been for me, this progression over the years and bow hunting is really what, once I picked up a bow and I, and I got a couple deer kills under my belt with a bow from there, it was mostly bow. I still take a gun out occasionally during deer season. I like to waterfowl hunt with a shotgun, but for me, bow hunting is where it's at. And it's been that for turkeys for me for quite a while, you know, as well. So. So, so did you ever, did you start turkey hunting with a gun? Yeah. Yeah, I did in the, in the, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of I'd say back in about 97 or so it was probably about the same time that I picked up a bow for the first time to go uh deer hunting and it's like okay I wanted I want to hunt more and and turkey hunting you know was the thing so I picked up shagat this is kind of a funny true story I actually did a video on this um a few years ago 
So in 1988 or 89, I was at, uh, I was at, Purdue University in college and I attended a, and I had a composition class. And in this composition class, we had to do like a uh, presentation, a written presentation. Then you had to do a verbal and you had to bring in the things that you were interested in. And so you had all people doing all these things. So this guy in my class walks in one day for his, and he is dressed head to toe in camouflage. And he's got a head net on, he's got gloves on, and he's got all these calls, like this big wooden call. I'm like, what the heck is this thing? And all these different calls and stuff. Obviously, he doesn't have a gun. So I'm like, what is this guy? So he starts telling about his thing was turkey hunting. And this, so this is in the late 80s. And he's talking about, you know, how you got to go out there and you got to be head to toe camo and their eyesight's so good and you can't move and the mosquitoes. And I was like, that is freaking crazy. There is no way I will ever do something like that. That is so dumb. That's insane. <laughs> Who the heck would ever do that? That's awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, I swear it had a true story. And and then, you know, all these years later, just like Chris, I'd rather hunt turkeys than anything else that there is. I love it. So, yeah. So, so you're a boiler maker. Yes, I am a boiler maker. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We had a rough week, rough ending of our week last week. So, yeah. Man. So, uh, so my family, but so going back, mm-hmm. Uh, my grandfather played football and wrestled at Purdue um, like in the forties. And I think every generation of my family has had a boilermaker in it. So my, yeah, my, my cousin was uh, in town this past weekend and uh, him and my wife were commiserating because she's a UK fan over the peacock, uh, the peacocks beating (laughs) beating the uh the boiler makers yeah. so yeah that's that's life as a boiler maker right there i just <laughs> i tell people i did not go there for the sports so i went there for the education and, and the paycheck afterwards but yeah yeah i went there and both my daughters go there my oldest nice. will graduate here in about eight weeks and my youngest is a sophomore there so yep heck heck of a school and heck heck of an engineering school at that and it's uh it, it's it's a real nice area real nice campus through there too yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy going back. So. Good deal. Yeah. I have a couple of friends that, that went there and they, they always talk about how nice campus was. Yeah. It's a place that I never got a chance to go see, but hopefully one day I'll get to go see. Yeah. I'll go up there. Yeah. So, so you, you know, it, it's interesting how you bring up like, you know, you're seeing this guy and head to do camo in college and you're like, what the heck is going on here? And then, you know, not not so many years later you you kind of for, take your first forays into this in, into the into the turkey hunting woods and world um so kind of describe for uh our listeners you know what 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 is it kind of like being um you know years and then transitions into it you know in your you know kind of post-college years and then becoming you know absolutely obsessed with it i it's it's funny i laugh i laugh about that story i told all the time and i tell people (laughs) that story and they're like you gotta be kidding me i'm like no i i remember um this this guy happened to be a fraternity brother to my now brother-in-law Um, He also had gone to the Purdue at the time. And so when I was dating my wife, um, 
and and he and I got talking. We realized that this I knew this guy. He was a fraternity brother, and so my brother-in-law and I used to sit around and laugh about it too. And then when when I start about how crazy this guy was, and this was before I even ever entertained the idea of turkey hunting. And so then when I started turkey hunting, I actually killed my my first few turkeys I ever killed right behind my in-laws um, house. They had a bunch of turkeys that just happened to be in that, that general area. And for several years, I killed multiple birds back there. And I remember my brother-in-law giving me a hard time about, you always said you were never gonna do that dumb sport of turkey hunting and dressing up in camo. And of course, then at that time, I was gun hunting turkeys, mm -hmm. the traditional way of setting your butt down on, the, on a nasty root at the base of a tree, head to toe camo, mosquitoes in your face and, you know, I was doing exactly what I, I said that guy was an absolute insane <laughs> to do, you know? So anyways, nice. but yeah, so it's, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, you know, uh, I laugh about it, but you know, for me, it was, it was this evolution and this obsession of hunting. I think what the, the oddest part about it is, is how that became my favorite thing to hunt. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny because I obsess over deer just like everybody else. I love chasing big bucks. Um, you know, I, I love waterfowl hunting. I've never been really bit by the bug for like elk and stuff like that. I just, I kind of like, you know, what I do, but man, I just, I think turkeys 24 seven, it seems like, um, especially this time of year. I mean, I'm, I'm so jacked about it all the time. So I don't know. It's weird looking back on it, but but it's kind of cool all in the sense, too, that it's, you know, and everyone's kind of got their thing. But, you know, being bit with the bug later in life and then it becoming your thing is is always kind of a cool thing yeah. to look at yeah, as well. You, you know, yeah, it is. And it, I, I often think how cool would it have been to be one of those guys that uh, you grew up in your dad hunts and your uncle's hunt and your grandpa's hunt and you know, you just continue on because, you know, from the time you could walk, mm -hmm. you're emulating, you're looking up to those individuals and those role models. And I didn't have that. So, and my, but the, I, the flip side is my girls did have that. They're like, this is all mm -hmm. my daughters know. And so for me, that's, it's kind of weird. It's like, I get to live this kind of like um, this duality situation where part of it, I take a lot of, I do take a lot of pride in, in, honing my own path and figuring this out and and I laugh at about the dumb things that I used to do because I didn't know you know I didn't have anybody to teach me you know even even the basics of like firearm safety like yeah. I look back on just dumb crap that I did that but I didn't know and then I I get to live the flip side of that with my watch my girls who have grown up with it and that's all they know and I mean they know they know uh all the concepts of hunting. I mean, we can, I can take them out goose hunting or turkey hunting and they'll say, look, we need to move this decoy here. or We need to do this. I mean, they know what they're doing. Um, you know, but I've, I've kept them away from the hunting industry side of things, which is kind of cool. Like they couldn't tell you who Michael Waddell was or who Tiffany Likoski is, or they, they, they have no idea. They don't, they don't watch any of it. They don't follow any of it, but um, but it's fun watching them go up. So I, you know, I don't know, everybody's got their story and, um, I guess I feel like mine's kind of unique just in the way, you know, it all went down, not having that mentor and stuff, but, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's, I, I flip through photos all the time. I got a photo book that just goes back years and 
some of them I'm like, oh, that was the coolest memory. And others I laugh at. And others I think, God, you were stupid and got lucky on that one because you did some <laughs> dumb thing or, you know, so it's just, again, it's a long journey when you start adding it up and you go, man, I'm, I started when I was like 23 ish and I'm 52. I mean, you're talking like 30 years there, yeah. you know, of progression to get to where you're at, you know, and, you know, some days I still walk out there in the woods. A lot of days I walk out there in the woods and I go, well, they made me look like an idiot again. Like, you know, better than to do, <laughs> you've been doing this long enough, you know, better than to do what you did, you know, and you know what the results are, but you know, yeah. so. I think that's the enticing thing about hunting is just no matter how much you do it or how much experience you have, it seems like whether it's a deer or a turkey, somehow in some scenario, they may, they may best you. And you're like, you know, I should have known better. It just, oh, yeah. it just keeps you coming back for more and more. It's, it's the challenge of it is just fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But yeah. It's it's interesting to kind of hear hear your story because you know I, I think of like a story that my dad told me when he was in college uh, back when I guess when they really just started putting turkeys back into Ohio like at a certain point he went to Ohio State and he was uh, he and uh, three buddies had like bought a turkey call out of the back of a field and stream magazine and had it sent to their dorm room and they went to Tar Hollow and he said they just went and stood on a knob one day. And like they're standing there in flannel and blue jeans and not knowing how to do anything with this. And they start hitting this call. And all of a sudden, this gobbler like comes up and starts gobbling like 20 yards from him. And they had never seen a turkey before. Like they they'd never yeah. seen a wild turkey before. And he, he said, you know, it, it's, it's one of those experiences that you don't ever get over. And like, you know, with, with deer, like you see them, you can call to them at certain points, but with, with turkeys, it's, it's a completely different animal just in the sense that, you know, there's such, there's kind of this back and forth that doesn't really occur in a whole lot of other types of hunting. And it is such um, a game of inches in a lot of ways. Uh, it, it, you know, with, with a bow, especially, which kind of leads me in to, the next uh, topic that we wanted to kind of hit on you with, because, you know, bow hunting turkeys is your, is your thing, you know, what, you know, what, what is your setup? How, how do you hunt turkeys with a bow? I, I don't, I've never done it. Like I've, I've, you know, had a crossbow out or something during deer season down here. And if one wanders by uh, and I got a tag in my pocket, I might, I might shoot one, but I, I've, I've never like purposefully went out and uh, intentionally tried to kill a turkey with a bow. So like, what is your setup? What's your philosophy on it? And, you know, how do you typically go about it? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, when I started bow hunting, I, I started bow hunting, um, like the old traditional running gun method, you know, sitting down, you know, behind some natural brush or something like that, trying that. And you know, that was, it, that's hard. And I, and I've had success doing it and I've had many failures doing it. Many, many, many failures doing it, but I've killed several that way. Um, and in the, uh, early nineties or early nineties, early two thousands, um, you know, the, the whole double bull blind thing was mm -hmm. you know coming, uh, coming up. And after a little bit of success and a lot of failures, I bought a, one of the early double bulb lines and those guys, and I was on the phone with them one time because I, 
I had watched their a couple of their old DVDs that they had. They had one or two DVDs out, and they were just showing them, just popping them up. And like, there's no way that you can just pop a blind up in an open space, you know, without it being brushed in. And I mean, a turkey's got to be scared of that. And I was trying, I think it was Keith Beam, and at the time that I was talking to, and I was like, uh, he's like, no, Derek. He's like, I'm telling you, just set it up in an opening. Like, okay, you know, try it and. Sure enough, I set it up and I think it was the very first time I killed a turkey. Like the very first time I popped <laughs> one up and they opened, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And I was like, I remember calling my buddy up who he and I turkey hunted quite a bit together. And he was, he was struggling too with the bow hunting. And I was like, dude, like, this is a game changer. Like I'll never sit on the ground again, to kill a turkey. Like the first one, I'm comfortable. I'm sitting in a chair and two, like they don't care about the things. I'm like, how many times have turkeys walked up behind us when you're in the you know woods and you mm -hmm. never hear them and you just you know maybe you shift because your butt went to sleep or you you know you scratch or swatted a mosquito, and you scare them off. And uh, so yeah, so I, anymore I hunt them all of a blind. I mean I've killed I don't know in the last 10 15 years I've probably killed one or two out of a without a blind. But um, yeah, so pretty much a blind is my go-to tool you know for that um i just it, it allows me to get away with a lot more but also here's the deal and and here's one of the things i hate about turkey hunting and it's the turkey hunting community is everybody saying well my way is the right way to, to hunt turkeys your way exactly. your way is not <laughs> your way is not pure your way your way is not right your way is you know the only way to to shoot a turkey is to grab your shotgun, go sit down at a tree, no decoys, mouth yelp him up, you know, mm -hmm. and that's it. That's pure. That's I, and you know what? <laughs> Here's the deal. I've I can tell you I've killed turkeys every single way legally possible that I know of, short of being in a state with shooting one with a high powered rifle. That, that I've not done. And I can tell you that anybody that tells you that their way is the way to tur hunt turkeys. It's just full of it. It's all BS. It's all mm -hmm. turkey hunting. It's yes. all cool. Do what's fun for you. And I say all that because as I go into, you know, the methods that I use, which I didn't invent any of this. I mean, you go on YouTube, you can, you can see lots of people doing it. People are doing it long before me. Um, but it really drives me crazy when somebody gets on Facebook or, or an online forum and starts ripping on guys, especially newer hunters who say that they want to hunt out of a blind or they want to hunt this way, or they want to reap a Turkey or whatever. It doesn't matter. Like do what you want to do as long as it's legal. So I say all that because, you know, honestly, one of the things that I did hate about Turkey hunting when I started always hated it was sitting on the ground up against a tree. I mean, I tried the little pads and the little, the little seats and I'm like, this sucks. It's just, it's not fun. It's not comfortable. I mean, it's fun when a gobbler's coming in yeah. and you forget the fact that you can't feel anything from your waist down because you're so <laughs> focused on that gobbler, but the rest of the time it sucks. I mean, quite frankly. And so mm -hmm. I found with a blind, I'm sitting in a chair, I'm comfortable. If I'm comfortable, I'll stay out longer, you know, and uh, it's not for everyone. Um, I hunt, you know, most of my, my hunting, except when I go like out West or to Texas, like here at home, for example, I own 78 acres at my house. Okay. On that 70 acres, 78 acres is my house, a pond, and I've got about 13 to 14 acres of woods. Where am I going to run and go? 
Like mm-hmm. if you want to say, tell me that running and gunning and sitting at a base of a tree and moving on birds is pure turkey hunting. My response to you is, where am I going to go? Like yeah. you realize how fast you can cover 14 acres of woods and then you got another 50 some acres of open fields and stuff. Yep. Like, where are you going to go? It's it. If they're not there, they're not there. So it honestly works your advantage and smaller. If you got 40 acres or a hundred acres or whatever, take a ground blind and just park your butt in one in a good spot where, you know, turkeys like to come and then use your decoys and your calling. So mm-hmm. that's how I go about it. That's I'm kind of like taking the long way around the barn to get to, you know, the methods and, and the equipment and stuff like that. But I always like to kind of set that up as to why I do what I do and also encourage people never, never be afraid to do it your own way and don't yeah. listen to other people's BS, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. So, so I'm pretty much a blind hunt. I hunt out of blinds, you know, in typically open spaces over decoys with my bow. I mean, that's the, the basics of it. And we can go as far down the rabbit hole of the details you want to, but that's how I like to hunt. Okay. So with, when you're blind hunting, so uh, let me, let me backtrack real quick. Cause you said you've, you've kind of did the run and gun with a bow without a blind, just natural mm-hmm. brush. Oh, yeah. So how do you have to think in terms of like your, your percentage, like how, how much did that improve when you went from, you know, bow hunting without a blind to hunting with a blind? Like what was your kill percentage like? Oh, Oh my God. Like <laughs> off the charts. Like, like, like day. with, yeah. It, I would say generally speaking out of a blind, if there's birds and in, in the area and stuff, I mean, 20 to 25% of your sets, you can kill, I can kill a bird generally. I mean, I say that and I don't say it arrogant. I'm just estimating. Cause I mean, hell there's, so we, you and I were just talking about a, a hunt in Texas a couple of years ago that I was on mm-hmm. and I sat four sits and I killed four birds, four sits, four birds in under 48 hours. So, you know, that happens. Um, I've had other seasons where, man, I have sat and sat and sat here in Indiana and it's taken me several sits. But I'd say I'd say probably 20 to 25 percent of the sits long term average, where if you're going to bow hunt turkeys without a ground blind, even if you get really good at brushing yourself in with natural vegetation stuff, man, you are talking less than 5% of your sets. I mean, it's, you know, we can all get lucky, you know, you know, at any time and you just happen to have the right bird in the right situation. And, you know, we all get lucky, but you know, to, to go out. So it drastically improves it. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, it's a pain in the backside. You, you're hauling gear out there. I mean, it's a lot oh, of gear yeah. to haul and set up and and all that. So that is a huge thing, that, you know, that deters a lot of people is carrying that much gear out there. But yeah, do you do you use like a frame pack to carry it? Um, I actually have a couple. We don't make them anymore of the Magnus rack packs, which was a frame pack system that had like an integrated chair in built into oh, it. Okay. Yeah. okay. So when you get out there, you take it off the frame pack and then you, there's a part that flips around and two legs flip down. And then there's a a canvas seat that spans between the two. And it's, it's fairly comfortable. I mean, it's not your lazy boy type chair, but, but it'll definitely, it beats those little triangle chairs, but but yeah, yeah, it's essentially as a frame pack. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So when, so. when you're, because a lot of guys nowadays like to run and gun. I mean, last year we were running and gunning around on on public, but if no matter if you're on private or public, so as far as your tactics go, because you know you're going to be in a blind setting up an area where you kind of suspect turkeys are going to be. So are are do you like to roost birds like the night before, or just kind of glass and get an idea of like the areas they're going to be in, or? Yeah, kind of. Um, so for example, you talking like public ground. Um, again, you, you had brought this up before we were talking on, on the podcast, but, um, last spring I went out to South Dakota, Dakota and hunted the uh, Black Hills. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had never hunted the Black Hills before I'd been there, um, doing touristy stuff, but I went into it, had really no clue, um, was staying at a bed and breakfast. The guy at the bed and breakfast was like, well, man, I kind of see him down the road. And, <laughs> you know, I've heard of guys back here and this. I'm like, well, that's a start. So, yeah, so you go out and you start driving around and glassing, you know, just like you would anything else, whether whether you were running and gun turkey hunt, you know, or gun hunting them or, or doing out of a blind with a bow. And then once you figure it out, you figure out the general area. So, um, in that video, you and I were talking about the very first bird that I killed was in this valley. And that was the third day hunting back there. It took me two full days to figure those birds out. Um, and I almost killed, I almost killed a bird the, the evening, I think before, but I had figured out this draw that they were coming down. It was just all, that was all just eyes. You know, once you knew that there were birds there, it was going and just sitting it you know, yeah. and just sitting it and go, okay, here's a decent opening area. You know, I like to get on areas that are maybe high spots in open areas. Like I want wide open visibility. I want to be away from trees. Typically I want to use that visibility, get up on a high spot, at least initially. Now I might, I might narrow in on a tree line or something if I see birds working there. And I was able to observe and sure enough, you know, here comes the birds in the morning and they come off this roost. Okay. That's where they're typically roosting. They're feeding up this, <clears throat> excuse me, this, uh, this cut in this Valley. And then in the evenings, uh, they're coming back through. It turns out there was like some clover and stuff down in there. They were really liking to feed on and uh, you know, just kind of figure it out. And, and I think it was, I think it was day. Yeah. I know it was day three. I think, I think I'd only been hunting two and a half days at that point, but figured them out and got in. I actually had a huge group of birds roosted off to my right. And there's one bird that I never even saw go up, but he was actually roosted out in front of me and he's actually the one that came in, but there were birds, there were so many birds around, but yeah. So it's, it's really is no different. Uh, you know, if, if we were going to get together and hunt, you know, public down in your neck of the woods or in Kentucky, where I know you guys hunt a lot mm -hmm. or something like that, it's the same deal It's going and just nosing around, you know, maybe you burn, a morning and an evening in a morning, maybe you burn them and don't hunt them. Maybe you just, you just listen, you know, yeah, binoculars, get, scout. get on and scout, get on a high point, listen glass and try and figure it out. You know, um, a, a, kid, a guy reached out to me last year. He was going to Nebraska for the first time. He was asking advice. And I said, you want, here's the best advice I'll give you is be willing to burn at least an evening and a morning on the front end. I know it's painful, because you've been wanting to go and hunt mm. so bad. But if you're willing to burn an evening and a morning, like if you get in at lunchtime one day, burn that evening, burn the next morning, unless you just got a sure thing for that next morning that you saw, but be willing to burn it and use that Intel so that you up your chances 
you know, later on, maybe you're only there for four days, burn one day and be willing to have good three days of hunting or progressively better hunting or versus starting out like totally blind and then trying to figure it out, you know, because when you're hunting, you're not scouting, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. you just, you just aren't, you're, you're scouting that little area you can see, but you're not scouting two ridges over. You exactly. Know? Yeah. I definitely yeah. feel like if you're, if you're traveling somewhere, it's in your best interest to do some e-scouting, get boots on the ground, like just burn like a day or two, scout as much as you can, gain as much intel, and then then go in when you have some good intel and, and yep. you know you you basically just increase your odds of getting on an animal quicker that way is how yeah. how, is, how yep. I see it. Yep, for sure. So and it's hard. I and look it, it's really hard. We we a buddy of mine and I were in Nebraska last year on a new piece of property and he, we were driving over there and he's like, well, what do you think we should do tonight? I'm like, dude, let's go hunt. And I knew better. I'm like, let's go <laughs> hunt. And he's like, all right, man. So we, we hunt that night and the night we hunt the next morning and we're getting frustrated. We knew there were the birds, but it just, he's like, yeah, he goes, maybe. better but you still mm -hmm. make the, i still make the same dumb mistakes you know from time to time as you know i always have so um you know the better you get you still run and like arrow set up and broadhead and everything yeah so <clears throat> excuse me um so i i actually use an older um elite z28 it's a 2009 bow some so I, I have a specific turkey hunting bow because okay. the, the broadheads I use are the Magnus bullhead. So I, I only do a head neck chopping situation. We can talk about the whys if you want to, after we talk about the bow a little bit, mm -hmm. but um, so that, that broadhead, when, when you set it up on the right arrow system and all that, it flies great, but it can be a little bit finicky depending on your draw weight, uh, the arrow speed, the slower it goes, actually the e more forgiving it ends up being. So I actually have just a turkey hunting bow. It's always set up. I never have to mess with it. A year, I literally, I could just go and pick the thing up and shoot it. It's always tuned. I don't change anything. I don't screw with it. Um, so it's an old Elite Z28. I like it because it's about, I, as I recall, like 30 or 31 inches axle to axle. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit shorter um, when I, 31 or 32, but anyways, it's, it's kind of shorter. So in that blind situation, you know, you're not, you know, some long axle to axle, it's got like a six and three quarter or seven, maybe it's over seven inch brace height. So it's incredibly forgiving bow. Uh, it only has 60 pound limbs on it. And I haven't back cleared down to like 52 or 53 pounds because shooting a turkey in the head and neck it doesn't take a lot of poundage and and the more forgiving what i'm trying to do is i'm trying and 
I'm trying to set up the most forgiving setup I can because mm -hmm. when you're a full draw at a turkey that's four or five yards away from you and you're aiming at its head and neck, I always tell people like shooting a, a turkey in the head is a head game and the, the game is in your head. It's not the turkey's head, it's your head because you can mentally get yourself in a situation where you're like, I can't make this shot. I can't make this shot. And so I want the the setup and the gear to be as forgiving as possible for me. So it's not shooting blazing fast. It's not shooting a lot of pounds. Um, you know, it, it just, it does the job and it does the job for me, you know, well, and it's been doing the job for a long time. So that's my bow. The arrows I shoot are the Victory V1, uh, 300 spine shafts that we sell with Magnus broadheads um, and the bullhead. It's what we recommend for it. It's got a four, four inch feather fletch on the back end to help steer everything. And then the head, of course, I use the 125 grain uh, Magnus bullhead, which is a head and neck only uh, broadhead. Uh, if you shoot one in the body, generally it will bounce off the body of the bird and the bird will, he'll walk away bruised with his ego hurt, um, you know, but he'll be back to fight another day typically. So anyway, so that's kind of my gear setup when it comes to the bow, um, you know, just a single pin sight, um, uh, a vapor trail, uh, drop away rests, nothing fancy, you know, so it really is, it's, it's a very low tech bow by today, today's standards, you know, and I yeah. actually encourage when people want to start telling me they want to shoot bullets and like, I don't want to mess with my deer hunting bow and this and that. I'm like, dude, go find yourself a $250 used bow. That's six, seven years old. Like who cares? Just set mm -hmm. something up that's super forgiving and accurate. Cause you're, you're, I mean, when I kill birds, it's usually anywhere from four to eight yards away. Like I'm not shooting 30, 40 yards at turkeys. I never would. That's not my game. Um, so, uh, you know, I tell people just go do that, you know, get, find something that shoots and then you don't ever have to jack with your deer hunting bow. You just, you know, you can go out and hunt. That's so, a good idea. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, <clears throat> you brought up the shooting them at four or five yards. That's what was going to be my next question is, so when you're, when you're practicing, right, you got your bow all set up. How, how far are you practicing at? What do you think like your, your lethal range is with that setup? Oh, I mean, I, I spend the bulk of my practice time at 10 yards. Okay. But okay. like tonight I was actually shooting at 20 yards. Um, some just, I like to make sure I'm on at 20. Um, I can accurately shoot those heads. I've got videos of me shooting them at 40 and 50 yards. Now I don't, wow. Oh, wow. I don't do, I don't go out and do that every day. I mean, you got to shoot a lot and really know things because that bullhead is like, you gotta think there's three giant airplane wings out on the front of your arrow. And so not only is the bow tuned, you want it to be as forgiving as possible and you want things dead on, your form has got to be dead on when you're shooting long ranges, like 10 yards mm -hmm. and in, like that's why you want it so forgiving. But when you're shooting 40 or 50 yards with one of those, like, the slightest little imperfection in your form, the slightest little, like you on those days, you want to shoot with no wind, the slightest little side draft and it'll blow that, that off. I mean, that's just it. But the reality is that's not a Turkey killing distance. I mean, mm -hmm. really with a, with a bullhead, it, it, I've killed one out to 25 yards. I killed one at 20 yards once, but everything else I've killed has been anywhere from four to maybe 11 yards. I mean, it just is, you know, that's what I choose to do. So I like to, I like to practice all at 10 yards. I shoot a few at 20 
every once in a while, I'll step back to 30 just to make sure that everything, if I see a glaring issue, it's going to happen at 30. That's where, you know, that's where when you've got a form issue or a cam's out of time on your bow or something like that, that's where you're going to see something bad happen. So, but yeah, I mean, really my, again, I focus on 10 yards and in, but I mean, if I got a bird standing there like a statue at 20 yards and it's been a frustrating three days of hunting and I'm like, you know, <laughs> what the heck, I'm going to shoot it. It's like maybe the last day or the near the end of it, the hunt, you know, okay. If you stand like a statue, if he's moving, I'm not going to do anything, you know, with him. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. but, Makes sense. but yeah, so most, most of them are in that, I, man, there's nothing like four yards away and slapping him in the face. With the body, <laughs> I, bet. So. I bet getting him that close and have one just gobble just a few yards away. Yeah. And, and it can be too close at times. I was actually in South Dakota last spring and I had one walk up to the front. He came from the side up the hill and he came right up, literally could have reached out the side of the blind and grabbed him by the neck. And he walks right in front of the blind, sticks his head up and poked his head in the front of the blind. Oh I was a full gosh. draw. I was a full draw. And I'm like, I can't shoot. Like, I don't know where this arrow's going <laughs> to like literally couldn't do a thing. And I mean, he was just, his beak was inside the blind. Oh I couldn't gosh. believe it. I could not believe it. Yeah. He lived. <laughs> yeah. Cause then he was like, Oh crap. And he, he was gone. But I was just like, what? I've never taken a six inch shot. I'm not, I don't think the arrow would have been off the bow by the time it hit him. You know, I don't, you know, so anyways. So you, you mentioned that you only use the bullhead and it's a head and neck chopping uh, broadhead. How, uh, how come uh, you're you're only using that and uh, instead of, you know, maybe another broadhead that, would uh, you know, go through and, you know, shoot through the breast of the bird or anything like that? Well, so um, for many reasons, um, one is when I started bow hunting turkeys, I was doing the traditional shoot them in the body like, you know, was the old that was the mindset. Um, and for every one bird I, that would ride home in the back of my truck with me, there would be two others that were wounded and never found. Okay. Now that's a me problem. And guys who live and die by bow hunting turkeys in the body will say that's that's a hunter error. And it was a hundred percent. So for me, the beauty of a head and neck shot is it is a clean kill or a clean miss. I mean, that's A is number one. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the biggest thing. I don't lose birds. I've never lost a bird that I have shot in the head or neck with a bullhead. I've bounced a couple off the bodies and that bird lived, but I've, I've always either killed them or a clean miss. And I can tell you, I've killed a heck of a lot more than I missed. So mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. anyway, so, and I've missed very few actually. Um, but so that is reason number one. Reason number two is, is the very first fundamental thing that we're taught when we become bow hunters and we shoot at an animal is to pick a spot. You have yes. to pick a spot. And that, that, that pertains to shooting you know, paper targets, 3D targets, the deer. When you're shooting a deer, and we all know this, that people, their minds scramble because they start shooting at the deer and not a spot. And people say, pick, pick a ripple, pick a shiny spot, the way the sun, you know, something there in at that kill zone, pick a spot that, that is so, you know, something you can see. Okay. So the problem with a turkey is shooting him in a body. He comes in, his feathers are down. He's kind of quartering to you. 
he gets there, the feathers come partially up, mm -hmm. then he turns sideways, and then he turns backwards, you know, facing away, and then he's facing, and he's he's doing all these changing of his body posture, you know, he lengthens out, he stands up straight, the spot changes nonstop, like, it's, it's not as simple as the crease behind the shoulder of a deer, the spot is changing, and the the vitals inside that spot are about roughly the size of an egg-shaped softball okay take a softball and kind of egg shape it a little bit that's mm -hmm. a roughly the vitals inside of a turkey and so it becomes this like mind game you're like oh just get one in and and, and that's what used to happen to me like just get one in the bird just get one in him you know knock him down Dude, those birds are so tough man i mean i've seen so many of them fly away or i've seen people have to become a track athlete to try and, you know, run one down over the course yep. of five, 600 yards. You know, um, I remember I had a friend of mine shot one. We were in Southern Illinois, body shot. It looked like a good shot. The bird takes off. And uh, I don't know if he's, it still is that way, but at the time you could only hunt till like noon or something like that. So he shot it probably mid morning, nine o'clock in the morning. We go to find the bird. We found it an hour later and it was still alive and it was tucked up under a log. He put another wow. arrow in it to dispatch it we get it back to camp he opens it up and half of one of the breasts was already green and rotten that oh. bird was rot that bird was literally rotting while it was still alive and i'm just like i can't do this so that's another big reason here's a here's another reason is the head and neck is a larger target zone those vitals inside the body are an elongated softball if you take a turkey's head and neck his head, a mature gobbler's his head is as big as a grown man's fist when you're pretty much looking at it. His neck extended is nine to 10 inches long when it's fully extended. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, he pulls it in at times, but, and it's when you're using a head chopping broadhead like a bullhead, it's a four inch diameter cut. So you got all this flexibility. So your kill pet, your, your shooting kill pattern actually becomes bigger. But here's the best part the spot of aim is clearly defined. There is not a single thing in the woods that looks like a red, blue, white, sometimes purplish <laughs> head and neck of a, of a turkey. So right. the only time that you cannot see that, that point of aim is if he was like at full strut facing away. And the rest of the time you can always see it. So as he's turning, you can sit there and follow that point of aim clearly with your pen. So it's just huge. And then I guess the last reason real quick is no damaged meat. There's no meat loss whatsoever. You know, there's just not that much meat on a turkey to begin with. So why run one through the body and, and potentially ruin, you know, some breast meat. So I'm so, really yeah, happy my, you said everything that you just said. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually, on my, on my, on my YouTube channel, new day outdoors, YouTube channel, I did a video like three years ago, the five reasons why you should shoot turkeys in the head with a bow. And I go over all this. I actually drew it out on paper to show you how big the kill zone is. So it's, I, I'd suggest people check it out. So, yeah, that sounds like a really cool, informative video. We'll have to we'll put it in the, the liner notes. Down. Yeah, I'll put it in liner there notes for people to go check it out. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, that, that's, that, that's always been kind of one of the qualms of, you know, you, you hear guys who bow hunt birds is, you know, how many birds go in the season with arrows in them and they're not a dead bird and they go and they tuck up underneath somewhere. And, you know, I, 
I, I, I can remember the first Tom I shot and this was a shotgun. I shot it. It ran off. I did because I didn't put a good hit on it. And that thing went and tucked up under a bay of cedar trees that had been like felled down and trying to get the bird already out of there. I think we got one breast off the bird because of the same situation. I shot the bird at 10 a.m. and I dispatched it at noon. And by the time we got to that bird and everything was was on it, like we had already lost a breast, you lost a thigh and it just like half the meat was already ruined um, on the bird. And, you know, that wasn't even with a bow. So I can't even think of like how many, you know, become coyote food later and later in the season or anything like that when you could, you know, very easily just like you said, there's nothing else that looks like that. You, you shoot it with yeah. a broadhead, a head chopping broadhead like you're shooting at something that you know exactly what it is versus something that you're taking kind of a, a thought at, and especially at four to eight yards. I mean, there, yeah, there's, and there should be no question at that point. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, and the, one of the arguments I hear from guys to go, okay, well, man, that's all great. Those things you told me were awesome. I, I get it. You know, that sounds awesome, but here's the problem with Turkey. His head never stops moving. And they, they're like, I can't, I can't do it. And that's where I go. Turkey hunting, shooting them in the head is a head game and it's in your head. Yes, you mm -hmm. can do it. And they do stop moving, especially if you use a quality decoy when they come in and they fixate on it and they get yep. really pissed or whatever, they will stop. And you've got to be patient. Another thing I always say is the, the most deadly tool you have in your toolbox as a turkey hunter, I don't care if it's gun, bow, whatever, is patience. Patience kills turkeys. So you know, I always, I, here's a challenge that, you know, people are like, still, I don't think I could shoot one in the head. I'm going, okay, here's the deal. hundred dollar bill on the line. I'll give you a hundred dollar bill. If you hit it, let's take a red Coke can. Let's set it out in the yard, 20 yards from you. I'll give you that hundred dollar bill. If you can hit that Coke can with your bow and anybody who's a halfway decent shot with a bow is going to take that hundred dollars from me, 99 out of a hundred shots. Mm-hmm. It's the exact same shot. You're shooting at a red Coke can. A lot of times, two Coke cans, one stacked on top of each other. It's, you know, if it's heads, you know, way up. Yeah. Like it's not a hard shot, especially at 10 yards. You get in at two, three, four yards can be tough because we don't practice that close. But man, you get them at seven, eight, nine, 10 yards. It is a, seriously is like the easiest shot in all of hunting, in my opinion. And I mean, like you, you bring, you bring up an excellent point there. Just our arch archery itself is a head game, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, it, you know, I, I've, you know, we've watched Chris over the years, take a bow, deconstruct it, build it back together. Oh my goodness. Say, say that, that SRX or whatever he had, um, you know, you, you, you can really get in your own head about it. Whereas if you just practice, you make yourself consistent and you allow yourself, you know, be the arrow. Like I'm going to make this shot. You know, you allow yourself to be confident in your shots versus thinking, well, I could miss, you know, well, you mm -hmm. could shoot it too. Like you have, you have to be aware of that. You have that ability as long as you are doing the things you need to, to prepare for the season in a reasonable yeah. way as well. Well, yeah. And, and I've had critics of, <clears throat> of me and others I know that hunt the way I do. I've had critics tell me, though, well, if you're shooting them that way at seven, eight yards at a turkey in its head, when he's sitting still with a bow, you're just simply target shooting. And my point is, 
yeah isn't that the point yeah like, isn't that why we go out and practice is target shooting so that when that deer or the elk let's say you're out hunting with a rifle and you got an elk out at 300 yards and you're in the mountains you've practiced it two three four five hundred yards you know how many how many bullets have you gone through so that at that moment of truth when you get your breathing calm down you get your in your head space and you squeeze that trigger gently that that bullet hits like it would on target paper then heck yeah it should be like target shooting you know again these these people who want to criticize the way that you turkey hunt or that i turkey hunt or that anybody turkey hunts like my i i don't have any kind words to go back at them because it's like just just people hunt and have fun you know exactly exactly yeah but anyways, you know, and, and the beauty too is this head shooting them versus body shooting them with a bow. They typically, the recovery is measured in feet, not yards. Yeah. Like a lot of times, even if you put a really good shot on a body shot on a bird, you still got 20, 25, 30 yards maybe goes before he lays down and dies. Man, not with a head shot. They drop pretty much in their tracks nine times yep. out of 10. Or then they just flop around, you know, three, four yards. And even if you nick them, I, I watched my daughter nick one years ago. And it went about 60 yards in this like drunken walking loop and just spraying blood. It was like tracking a deer. It was crazy. And he just fell face down. So, I mean, there's just so many blood vessels in there that all it takes is, you know, getting them by an eighth of an inch of that blade and, and it'll open up the blood will just start spraying on them. So. Yeah. I don't think people realize that as much as how many just, you know, arteries and stuff are around there. It's very lethal if you hit them there. Well, they turn red because they pump a lot of blood up in their heads. <laughs> well, yes. yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's what I that's what I always taught. It's like the reason why their head changes color like that is, you know, is you know pigmentation in the skin due to blood going in and out of those areas yeah. and, and being yeah, able they to change th- that. Yeah, they throttle it back. They shove more in. There's other chemicals that go in. You know, we're oversimplifying it, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean that's a definitely the part. So yeah, you just nick one you put a good nick on one and he'll bleed out just like a deer. I mean, it's, and you can track them that way. So for sure. Just wanted to take a second to tell you about all our other content. If you're on Facebook, head on over to the field by the outdoors, Facebook page. We currently have over 18,000 members people who love the outdoors from the mobile hunter all the way to the hiking enthusiast come interact and talk all things outdoors with a robust community of people fan of product reviews fishing hunting videos go check out the fueled by the outdoors youtube channel if there's any topic or content you would like for us to cover just send us a message and if you like what you're seeing and hearing then hit that join or subscribe button we hope all our content fuels your passion for the outdoors so, you know, I do want to kind of get to this part. You do work in the industry. You, uh, you work you work for Magnus. You know, mm-hmm. we have a lot of people contact us about, like, how do you get into the industry? Like, what are steps to kind of do that? If, if you had pieces of advice to give to people, like, what are, like, good ways to get involved in the hunting industry? Um, you know, what what are steps to kind of take with that? do you have to have certain backgrounds? Do you have to, you know, have certain things go for you? Like what, what's, what's some of your advice for, for those individuals? Man, 
a long list of things. Um, first of all, if you if you think you've got something new, a new twist or a new angle, you don't. It's probably been done. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I will say, um, whatever it is, whether it's video photography, writing, you know, whatever it is you're or you're just wanting to work for a company in marketing or sales or whatever, whatever the angle is you're coming in, figure out a way to put your own twist on it. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously, I, look, I do a lot of video stuff. I mean, the cookie cutter hunting video platform has been out there since the late 80s, you know, mm-hmm. Jackie Bushman and them, they established it, you know, how it is. Um, you know, this is this is what a hunting show is. But you can still put your own twist on it and do your own thing and get your own and be creative. Um, that would be like number one. Number two is um, don't come in with all this swagger telling people how you're going to change the industry and you're going to bring them something again new that they've never seen because they're all going to laugh in your face because they've seen it. They've been it. They've heard every sales pitch there is. So you need to be incredibly humble going into uh, this industry because there's um, again, they've seen it all. They've been there and done it all. Um, it's <laughs> to to let, use probably the, the not most politically correct term. They've been in bed with each other and they've all slept with each other. So, mm-hmm. you, I mean, <laughs> you're not going to teach them anything new. Right. right? Yeah. And and so you got to be very humble. You got to be incredibly honest. Um, very good communicator. I mean, those are all skills, you know, I mean, I personally, I'm an engineer. So if I wanted to get into the hunting industry from a design perspective on products, um, you know, again, I, I think it would, it would be trying to be humble, not saying like, Hey, back in the archives of my mind, I've got, I've got the design for groundbreaking technology. You know, it's, again, it's all about being humble and, and just being honest um, and being hardworking um, communication. It's like anything else in life and you're going to get out of it what you put into it. Um, you know, so it's, I don't know. It's been a weird journey. I I would caution anybody to, um, go into it like, Hey, I'm selling, I'm, I'm selling everything and I'm mortgaging my house and I'm jumping into working in the hunting industry. Um, you know, the way everybody's path different, my path into it was, a long drawn out path, dipping my toe into the water little by little by little until it, you know, I went the whole relationship approach, you know, mm-hmm. getting to know people, learning, you know, be learning to be a friend to people in the industry, somebody that they could trust and they could work with. And the next thing, you know, they're calling you up and, and they're asking, you know, your opinion. Um, you know, I, when you get the best, decoy makers in the industry that call you up and say, Hey, Derek, I want to pick your brain on this new pose, or I want to pick your brain on this coloration that we're going to do, or, Hey, we're going to send you a prototype for you to test out or something like that. Um, You know, that means a lot. And it's only, you only get there by relationships, you know, long-term relationships. Um, Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's how I got into it. So I feel like the relationship aspect is kind of missed by a lot of people nowadays. I feel like, you know, I hate to say it, um, but I feel like there's a lot of selfishness sometimes where it's like me, 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 right? Especially like mm-hmm. I'm making these videos, I'm killing these animals, like give me this. And it's like, well, 
take a yeah. different approach, right? Like yeah. you said earlier, people in the industry have been there, done that, seen it, right? And they're, yeah. they know you're not there for them or to support their products. They just, yeah, you know, you gotta, yeah. you gotta build those relationships up. You do. Um, you know, I, I've got uh, several of them where basically the relationship is, uh, is basically a friendship and out of the friendship. Yeah. It comes a free, a free dozen arrows, you know, it might be a free, you know, free this or free that. And it's not a paycheck and everybody's like, Oh, that sounds great. But you're like, look, I've been playing this game so long and as much money and, and everything that I've invested into it, trust me, I'd be far better head just walking into a Cabela's and buying arrows and a bow. And <laughs> I mean, it's, that's not the reason I do it now. Right, obviously yeah. there is a, a money aspect of, for, of it for me anymore, but here's the deal. I'm still an engineer. I'm 52 years old. I am employed as an engineer, not in the hunting world because the hunting world's not going to pay my mortgage and it's not going to pay my you know grocery bill. I mean, yes, there's some money that comes in, but these uh, so everybody thinks once you're in the industry, man, you're rolling in the money like Michael and Lee and <laughs> Tiffany and them. It's like, you have no freaking clue guys. I mean, you have no clue. Like be happy that somebody gave you a couple of free packs of broadheads and you're sitting there, you're wanting a handout for $5,000 for them to sponsor, you know, your, whatever your new, TV show is you're going to produce, you know, I mean, come on, it, it, no, it doesn't work that way. Just, yeah. you know, be humble and, and build relationships and then good things come, you know, put in the time and the hard work, you know, get better at your craft, whatever that is. So solid advice, you. solid advice. Yes. It's funny. It's funny. Like you talk about the being humble thing and you said, um, Michael Waddell, I just listened to an interview with him not too long ago and, uh, his, I mean, he started when he was like 17 or 18 and, you know, really didn't even get, I mean, anywhere even close to being on a show until he was in his mid 20s, late 20s. And that was only after um, ESPN started cutting shows and that kind of stuff. And that was when the outdoor network rolled around. And, you know, I, I, th I think like you and Josh both said, if, if you can't do the things that you need to more often, like be humble, be patient about some of these things, be nice and be less selfish surrounding that stuff. You know, I don't like being around people who are selfish kind of like mongers and want all that, want all the fame for themselves. You know, you want to be around people who are, you know, wanting to be friendly and be helpful in, in, in you know, wanting you to further success. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and it's, you know, it, it's easy now and to get in a place in a bad headspace. Uh, when it comes to that, because of the way social media is integrated all into our lives. I mean, it's, you know, obviously one of the big downfalls to it, but you know, this whole, there's, you run this razor thin edge of look at me, I'm a badass versus, Hey, just check out what I did. You know, here's a bird I killed or whatever. It's hard, yeah. man. It, it's really hard. And you can come off as a, as a look at me, very arrogant, you know, mm -hmm. depending on the way you handle the posts and, and how you reach out to companies and to hashtag and tag them in all this stuff. And it, it, you know, it, it, it seldom impresses a lot of those people, you know? Yeah. So but, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, and it's not made for everybody, man. It, it really isn't. Um, again, you know, I'm still an engineer for a reason. I get to play in the outdoor world. Um, where I would honestly, I would hate to have to be a person 
who their mortgage payment hangs on. Oh man. How many views, how many views my, my videos get, you know, I mean, look, I, I know several of the THP guys, for example, know them personally. And, and I've talked to them about it and what I think they're doing is amazing, but dude, I couldn't live with that stress. Like that, that, yeah. you know, my mortgage payment and my truck payment are hanging on the fact how many YouTube clicks I get and how many people listen to my podcast. And, you know, I mean, granted they're, they're diverse and they're, they're getting money from other streams, but man, no thanks. You know? Yeah. My, so. my, my anxiety goes up thinking about that. Just <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, like, like to, like to think, to think that, uh, that, that would be like what I would have to hang my hat on and like pay my mortgage and that kind of stuff. Just like palms start getting sweaty thinking about it, but yeah, no thanks. <laughs> no thanks. It makes me think of, uh, Oh, what's that movie with Jim Carrey? Is it Bruce almighty? where he's trying yeah. to make Jennifer Aniston love him. And he's like, love me, like reaching out. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Um, I, you know, it, again, take the small victories, man. If 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 you hook up with, with XYZ Broadhead Company and they float you three or four or five packs of, of Broadheads, take that victory and run and just, and be, mm-hmm. thank them, over thank them. Mm-hmm. And then over deliver to them with photos of game that you killed with them or video, you know, over, like give them to them. You know, like, here you go. It sounds silly because at the end of the day, you're like, oh, okay, what, what's the big deal? It's a $30 or $40 pack of heads. And they gave me $200 or $250 in inventory. whoop de do. You know, it's really not a big deal. But again, take those small victories because nobody's going to write you a $25,000 check. I'm here to tell you. Correct. Because if they yeah. are, sign me up all day long. I'll go find <laughs> well, good deal. I've been playing this game a long time and I haven't seen that anywhere. So I'll just take them. Sometimes I, jo- I joke with Mike. Mike Salm about it, 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 who owns Magnus. I'm like, uh, you're just buying me a dinner and a couple of beers tonight. I, I think we're good. We, we just go with that as payment for whatever <laughs> yeah. it was. You know? So, anyways, yeah. So be humble and be grateful. You know. So, so you had mentioned a couple of things earlier that I kind of wanted to to hit on before we forgot about them. You were talking about decoys early on, and then I mentioned again talking about the industry and guys mm-hmm. asking you what you think of different poses and stuff so what when you're when you're out there and you're blind and that so do you always have decoys with you well i do because um a i bow hunt and i want them so close and yeah. and b i film so for me i i film every hunt and for me it's it's very engaging um and i honestly i just like it i like watching the birds interact with the decoys i love when a couple of times come up and they are pissed and they just want to beat the crap out of the t- strutter decoy or the jake mm-hmm. decoy or and even watching hens come up and pecking at the hen decoys or i had one fall asleep underneath a hen a couple of years ago i'm like that's so freaking cool <laughs> um yeah i had a hen come in strutting and gobbling one time uh, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. She was so mad at the hen decoy. And then she went over and attacked the Jake decoy. She was in my decoys for like an hour. So for wow. me, those are the reasons I use the decoys. Um, they hold the birds. Uh, if you're taking like a youth hunter or something or a new hunter, decoys are really advantageous because it gives those birds a chance to come in, beat up on the decoys, ultimately calm down. It gives that new hunter a show that they'll never forget. The birds calm down, get relaxed, and boom, you know, so whether you're gun and hunting them or whatever. I mean, you know, so I, yeah, I always hunt with decoys. I like them, honestly. Um, I was waterfowl hunting before I was turkey hunting, and waterfowlers are decoy obsessed. Yes, we obsess they over are. them. 
And so for me, I want my turkey hunting spread to look like I got a big old duck or goose spread out there. I like more decoys, the better, man. More, more people at that party is great for me. So anyways, but yeah, so I do, I love hunting with decoys. Um, yeah. And, and if you're going to bow hunt decoys in particular, I would encourage people to go buy the ultra realistic decoys, buy a high end decoy that looks real. If you're just going to gun hunt birds and you want a decoy, you can get away with the the twenty dollar foamy decoy or the you know the ones that kind of look cartoonish because you're only trying to get them within you know well now with TSS 60, 70 yep, yards oh yeah. but I mean thirty you don't need them that 30, close yeah I mean a forty yard gobbler though with even old older types of twelve gauge shells isn't a long shot so if your decoy's at twenty yards and he hangs up who cares you're gonna kill him when you're bow hunting them you can't afford that so I would advise them to get the most realistic decoys you can afford personally. I'm a Dave Smith guy, um, you know, Dave and Brad and Greg that own the company are personal friends of mine. And, and I've known them for years. I've been years in their decoys for years. Um, you know, and so, yeah, I, I love them. I own all the poses and I vary it up depending. I've got my preferred poses, but sometimes I'll just grab one pose because I'm like, I haven't hunted with this one in a while. I'll just grab it, you know? So nice. But, what's your, um, what's your go-to setup? You do like Jake and a couple hands or what do you like to uh, use? So I'll tell you, um, my favorite setup is not the deadliest setup. My favorite setup will always be a strutting Tom with the white face, the white face pattern on, on his face and a lay down hen of some sort, maybe three, four yards out in front of him. And then usually two other hen decoys, maybe a feeder and, and some other pose, um, I like that, uh, depending on how you know far I'm walking or whatever. I love that setup. I've killed so many birds over a strutter. It is incredibly deadly. However, Dave Smith, uh, DSD makes a, a setup called the motion mating pair. And it is the, it is the deadliest set of decoys. And most guys won't even mess with it. They won't take it out because it requires a jerk cord. But you have a, uh, okay. a, a breeding hen on the ground. The stake goes down through her back. And then the jake's on top of that. And in the bottom of the jake's decoy where the stake goes up, it's not attached. Like the, the inner column is not attached to the bottom of the decoy. So it flexes. And then off his tail, it's got a little attachment where you can put a jerk cord down through an eye loop and then run it back to the blind. And you tug on that. And it looks like a a my daughters have my daughters hate hunting over it because they're like those turkeys are having sex dad and <laughs> but <laughs> which which uh yeah so anyways but um it really looks like a tom like when they get ready to breed a hen what they do is they stand physically on their back with their legs and they always kind of wobble around if you've ever seen it happen they're trying to get a footing it's just so this is emulating he's just got on her back he's not actually breeding her yet and so Tom sees that and man, they get pissed instantly and they, they, they see just, and it doesn't take much, just a couple taps on that jerk cord, just get him kind of to bounce around up there and they will come in pissed. It is so deadly, but it takes more time to set up and it's, you know, it's a string which can wind up on stuff, you know, and so a lot of guys will steer away from it, but it is, it's absolutely deadly, but I've killed them over all their poses though. The, the regular submissive Jake kind of pose that they've had for years and other companies have similar ones and really honestly if i was a guy on a budget i would spend 
the most money that I could on a good quality Jake or strutting Tom decoy. And then I, if I didn't have m- enough money to buy really nice hens, I'd just scrimp on the hens because 99% of the time when that, ter- when that Tom comes in, he will not even pay as bit of attention to those hen decoys. He goes mm-hmm. to that, that Jake or that strutting Tom every time I can only offhand. I can remember one time that I had a Tom that just walked right up to a hen decoy and he just fell in love with the hen decoy. The rest of the time they all, they might come up to it, stop, but then they'll, they'll go on to the Jake every time they go on to the male, the male bird every time. So, but yeah, so that's kind of my deadly setup. And I, again, I, I typically hunt over, you know, three three hen decoys one of them almost always is a lay down type of decoy unless i'm in taller grass where that lay down decoy just gets lost and then i want stuff for visibility purposes you know so really the hens the hen decoys for me are really about visibility you get a turkey in a wide open field setting that's two three hundred yards away you want as many black dots up there as possible to get that attention of that bird you know and then when he comes in again he just focuses on whatever that male bird is typically Makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, good deal, Josh. Yeah, you, I was going to another one. Oh yeah, I got. I'm I'm full of questions. <laughs> <laughs> you had talked about the decoys for filming. Yeah, because you you self film a lot. I mean, you got you got tons of videos on on YouTube. As we've kind of alluded to, we'll uh, we'll give out all of your information towards the end so people can look them all up. But um what's your what's your film setup like i, th- I think you recently did uh, a video on my, youtube my, i lost you there for a second sorry about that oh. you re- <laughs> sorry. I recently what now you recently did like a gear dump video right with like your film setup in that yes yep yeah yep. so what uh what kind of film setup are you running um so that has changed a lot over the years now i run a sony mirrorless camera system for my main camera i run a sony uh uh, A7S III. Uh, it's a primary, it's, it's more video focused. It takes amazing still photos, but primarily video focused. Um, and uh, for just for turkey hunting, uh, they're uh, 24 to 105 F4 lens uh, on that. But when I deer hunt, I swap out with some different lenses on that setup. And they're building mics and all that. And then I like one of the things that, that I did years ago, I mean, more people do it now, but was start running action cameras out in the decoys. Cause I like getting, I, man, if I can get three to four camera angles, um, you know, on a kill, you know, that's my goal. A main camera angle, maybe two out the decoys, maybe one in the blind back at me. I mean, that's an ideal situation. So that's what I always strive for. So over the years, I've learned how to incorporate action cameras, you know, into my, into my stuff. Uh, this year I'm throwing a 360 camera out there, which I've owned one for about three years, but really never used it in a hunting situation too much. So I'm looking forward, forward to, you know, some of that, but it, again, it's, you know, it gives you this different perspective uh, rather than just a single cam traditional, you know, what is a hunting show, you know, type of situation. Like that. Yeah, so, yeah. So most of when I go turkey hunting, you know, 90% of my gear is camera gear and very little of it's actually. Okay. I really don't, I really don't carry many calls or anything. Um, a lot of times I do the decoy, let the decoys do the bulk of the heavy lifting for me, you know, but I do call some. So I keep a basic slate and a little aluminum pot call with me that both of them I've had for well over 10 years now. Um, and uh, usually two or three mouth calls, nothing fancy, just, you know, something to make some basic 
Yelps and and I do carry the last few years I've started carrying the tube call um, a lot more uh, just simply if I really need to reach out there and I find that's really good you know on some on public ground like when I was out in the Black Hills you know these giant ranches in Texas where the brush is so thick sometimes it's just nice to have a loud turkey call where you can get a response and be you know it kind of a locator call but you can really get something to, to go for it and then you know call it in with your your slates or your mouth calls or whatever and hopefully once once he sees the decoys and he's coming let's just put the calls away and just sit back and enjoy the show you know at that point so nice good deal sure. Rick, did you have other questions? No, I, I keep, no, I keep I'm, asking. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm just listening. This is great. I've, I'm, I'm interested in hearing, <laughs> hearing how, how this setup goes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's like you said, Derek, you're, you're self-filming a lot out there. So that's another great reason. I mean, that, that's another reason for the blind out there, right? Cause yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, it would probably be nearly impossible so if you didn't have a blind and you're self-filming and shooting them with a bow. It, it would, it would be. And, you know, again, guys will say, well, you know, by God, then if that's what you're going to do it, that's what you got to do it. You know, here's, here's the deal. Do I need to kill any more turkeys in my life? No. So probably, yeah, I should probably go do that because then it would make that one even more special. But at the end of the day, I don't like eating tags just as, you know, as everybody else doesn't mm-hmm. like eating tags. You know? yeah. I mean, I'm willing to, um, but you know, I'm also going to do what I enjoy. I'm going to hunt comfortably. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take my camera equipment. I'm going to do it the way I like doing it. Um, honestly too. Another thing is again, my job, I'm an engineer, but I was working remote before it was cool to work for, you know, remote as we've all now experienced the last couple <laughs> of years. But, um, so I work a lot remote. So when Turkey season comes in here in Indiana, unless I got to be on the road, um, for my job that day or something. I'm out hunting. So I'll take my laptop and, uh, and a lap board and I'll sit there and I'll work while I'm turkey. I'll sit out all day and I'll turkey hunt. Yeah, nice. Cause again, I don't have, I don't have big areas. So like on say a 50 acre farm, where am I going to go? And generally I know that there's turkeys in the area. They just may not be in that field that morning or whatever, but who's to say they aren't going to show up at one o'clock, you know, and then you can decoy or call one in. So, um, so yeah, so that's a whole nother reason, you know, the blind it, guys, like, hey, you can, because of your job, you can only hunt Saturday and Sunday. Dude, I'm hunting six, seven days a week. Like, mm-hmm. You know, it's because of what I like doing, you know, rather than sitting, you know, in an office somewhere or, you know, and working on a production line. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm out there hunting and it's, you know, that's a whole nother reason for the blind. So, yeah. Good deal. It's always interesting sitting there typing out an email and you're really focused on work. And you look up, and you're like, oh crap, there's turkeys in there. <laughs> you know, you're like, where'd they come from? You know, but it happens. So. Anyway, good deal. Um, I guess we should probably wrap it up, but um, Derek, any concluding thoughts, anything you want to share wisdom wise with, you know, your listeners? I just, you know, I mean, uh, turkey hunting, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a drug. Don't go down that path, folks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a drug. It's a bad drug. It'll cost you marriage. It's no, no, it's, my wife, my wife will actually loves it. Cause she's like, Hey, you're not home. This is great. I can, I can have my alone time. So anyways, but no, I mean, it's been a fun journey. Um, you know, it's, I don't know, you know, I don't really understand some days how I found this path and, but I'm sure glad I did. Um, but 
it's it's just a lot of fun. I just enjoy it. I look forward to this time of year every year. And and come June, I'm usually like, okay, whew, I'm ready for deer season and move on. But man, there's just nothing like spring turkey season after being cooped up all winter and cold and gross as most of us in the Midwest Midwest experience. Mm-hmm. You can get out there on a nice spring morning and so I'm looking forward to it. I'm heading to Texas next week. So hopefully we can uh, knock a couple birds out and it's heading down Saturday. I'll be hunting Monday through, I think, Friday. And so I'm looking forward to that. So nice. Yeah, that'll hopefully be a good down. time. Yeah, hopefully I'm, put I'm a, a bird or two down. So hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not looking forward. I'm not looking forward to filling up the pickup truck on that drive. Down. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I can imagine. Gas prices, but, you know, that is what it is, you know. I can't kill them staying here at home. So Anyways. can't kill them from the couch. That's exactly right. So, uh, Derek, go ahead and uh, plug all of your stuff, plug your YouTube channel and all that where people can find you. Yeah. So um, man, please, uh, probably the, the, my number one outlet where I send most things anymore uh, is on YouTube. So go to YouTube and type in the search bar new day outdoors. Um, or probably my name and it'll pop up, but Nudie Outdoors, uh, and you'll find my channel. Man, if you would hit the subscribe button, that means the world to me. If you see a video, give it a like, make a comment. I mean, you have no idea. People people don't understand the way the algorithms on YouTube work, and those subscribes and those likes mean the world as far as getting views up and and yes, and they all do, that and, and suggested views for other people. You know, mm-hmm. so. Anyways, so that would mean the world to me. I'd appreciate it. Um, and you can you can find me personally on Facebook, uh, Derek Craig. I do have a Facebook page, Nudie Outdoors, but honestly, it just ends up being YouTube links for the most part. I just unless I do like a kill shot, you know, if I if I got a hero shot of me holding a deer up, I'll post it there. But I really don't do a lot with it. I'm on Instagram at Nudie Outdoors. Um, you can see pro- I'm probably most active on Instagram. Uh, you'll see photos. That's where I post a lot of photos that I take not just hunting, but my life too. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I let my life overlap my hunting content. And even you'll see that on my YouTube channel, my life is in there as well as my hunting. So I do these videos. I do a video every weekend of my life, Saturday, Sunday videos. Last nice. weekend was the lamest one ever. So <laughs> I don't suggest you watch it, but like the two previous weekends, we were on uh, spring break. My family and I took my daughters and my wife, we were in the keys. And so you know, and it's a 60 second long video. So you're going to see on my channel, not only hunting stuff, not only you can watch hunts, you can watch gear review stuff on hunting stuff. You can watch tech or tech tips or, you know, tactics or like the five reasons why you ought to bow hunt turkeys. But you're also just going to see, you might see client projects I do for, uh, you know, I got a truck client here that does uh, truck, uh, uh, you know, jacked up truck builds and stuff like that. So I'll do feature videos for him and you're just going to see a lot of different stuff. So sometimes you got to wade through the minutia, but again, I go back to, you know, um, it's my stuff. It's, it's my channels. I'm going to do it the way I want. And, and that has honestly, when you talk to the, the Dave Smith's and the Mike Psalms of Magnus and, and the guys at Hotshot and the, very, the other companies that I work with from time to time, that's one of the things they like because they're like, dude, you're not like, all the way immersed into this and we don't have to worry about that all you're in it's for this i'm in it to i'm in it to just make creative content stuff that's cool to watch you know and and get better at and and if i make films that are not hunting stuff all that translates over to when i do make a hunting film or a hunting video if you mm-hmm. get better 
in the filming and the editing aspect, it's trickled down. So all that's on my YouTube channel. Sorry, that's a long-winded approach. But um, the other ways you can check out stuff is go to uh, Magnus Broadhead's Facebook page. Magnus Broadhead's also has a YouTube channel. There are some hunts on the YouTube channel, but it's more tech stuff, like tech support type of stuff, like how to tune and set up your bullheads, why the arrow system is important, uh, talking about how well the deer uh, broadheads fly out of crossbows, high-speed ones, stuff like that. So if you go to the Magnus uh, Broadheads YouTube page, you can see a lot of content I've done there. Um, you can reach out to me on social media. You can reach out to Magnus Broadheads on social media. And if it's a tech support question, it'll typically filter back to me. If it's helping somebody set up their bow for say a bullhead, for example, you know, I've seen and done it all. And so I can typically find, you know, what the root cause of the problem is, uh, stuff like that. So those are, again, the general ways, you know, to, to find me on, on those major social uh, outlets. I don't do TikTok. I don't do Snapchat. I don't do uh, Twitter and all that stuff. I try and stay away from politics. I actually get on Facebook as little as possible anymore. I'm <laughs> so over the world on Facebook anymore. Between pandemic and war, wars and politics and everything else, I'm just over it, you know? So anyways. Good deal. But yeah. Well, thanks, Derek. Josh, you got anything you want to finish up with? Uh, concluders. Uh, let's see when this comes out, youth Kentucky youth season is coming up or will be passed. Uh, Kentucky youth season is this weekend, so it will have already happened. Oh, Oh, I didn't realize it was that close. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hear you can identify as different things. I would identify as a youth. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't we all, uh, but hopefully the Kentucky youth hunters, uh, did well. This past weekend, right? Uh, and then the, I guess my concluder is you better get ready because the seasons are coming up. I'm I'm pretty pumped for Ohio and Kentucky. Good deal, good deal. Yeah. Well, so my not much of a concluder, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my, my final thoughts are, as always, if you have the ability to take somebody new out hunting or fishing or get him out in the outdoors, please do it. It's a life changing thing. And I think it's a great thing that we all can kind of agree on. That's a, a wonderful thing to share with people uh, first time or if they've been absent from it for a while, you know, get them out and try it again. Um, if you're a youth hunter, hope you had a good weekend. And if you are planning on hunting Kentucky, Ohio, or any of the other states that, you know, are coming up, scout. If you haven't already, go out and scout. You need to put boots on the ground, listen for birds. And again, like Derek said, if you got to burn a day, burn a day. You know, it's going to be infinitely more helpful for you than trying to go out there and figure things out on the fly and, you know, end up spooking birds and then putting yourself in a bad position. But with that, uh, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Rick Cates. I've been joined tonight by Josh Luck and Derek Craig. Guys, thanks so much for you know coming by and spending time with us tonight. Thank you. See ya. All right, guys. Bye.